0: I don't know why, and as many times as I've read it, I just took it for granted because of trips I've taken to the Holy Land and pictures that I'd seen. And you're probably going to think the same thing. I'll read maybe two or three verses of scripture that they're going to sound very similar when you hear them. But yet, it's what God's laid on my heart for tonight. In Matthew 27:33, Matthew 27:33, in the 27th chapter of Matthew, you're dealing with the crucifixion of Christ. And I guess it is still good to preach on the blood in Kansas, isn't it? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. I preach on the blood a lot, because it took the blood to save me. Glory to God. There's nothing like the message of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Matthew 27, 33, And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull. If you'll turn your Bibles over to Mark chapter 15 and verse 22, you're going to see a phrase that is almost the same phrase as what I just read to you but just verification again the gospel writer records mark 15:22 and they bring him unto the place golgotha which is being interpreted the place of a skull in john 19:17 one more verse I'll read to you john 19:17 john chapter 19 verse 17 And he, referring to Jesus, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. I'm going to look at just one phrase out of all three of these verses that appears in every one of the verses that I read. A place of a skull. A place of a skull. And focus your thoughts with me for just a moment. Now, God, when He created this world with His wonderful wisdom and knowing all things, God had already predestined a plan where the wayward man could be saved. When God created this earth, He sculpted a hill called Calvary, Golgotha. And many of you I know have taken trips to the Holy Land. You've seen it. And when I say the place of the scroll, you're always reminded of the fact, why did God choose that place? I don't know how you feel about this, but I don't think anything happens by accident with God. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? God does everything by a plan and by a purpose. We do things sometimes not even knowing why we do it. Under the mere direction of God, spontaneously, we respond to the Spirit. But God has a plan and purpose in all that He's doing, especially when it comes to the salvation of our soul. And in the event that man would, would be involved in sin, God made a way that we could have forgiveness of sin. So He formed that hill that we call Calvary, Galgotha, a place of a skull. Why was Jesus crucified? And why did He shed His blood at a place of the skull? Well, I think the first reason is logical because of creation, the countryside itself. For those of you that's been there, you know now times have changed uh, in the earlier years. Uh, You you could actually go and climb a ladder to the top of Calvary, but for many years now, no longer can you go climb that ladder to the top of Galgoth. And now you stand in a little pavilion area, and as you look across the hillside, there's this hill and the very appearance of it. You can see the eye sockets, the nose, the mouth. It looks just like a human skull, a hill shaped like a skull. So I think the logical thing to say it's called the place of a skull because of the creation of a hill that looks like a skull. But, in 2,000 years, land changes. Physically, it changes its appearance. We know on the day that Jesus died, there was, there was an earthquake that occurred. The earth shook when the heavens were darkened, when God... Could not look upon sin. God who is holy. Don't ever forget you serve a holy God. The angels that Isaiah saw, when he saw them there that day, and they were before the Lord as the glory of
1: God filled the house of God, he said they cried, holy, holy, holy. Holiness is not something that God does. Holiness is who God is. It's His very character. It's His very nature. So here we are seeing this holy God as He no longer could look upon
0: His Son who knew no sin but became sin for us. Amen. Paid the price that we might be saved and forgiven of our sin. And the earth shook. Earthquakes changed the appearance of the landscape. Probably didn't look like that 2,000 years ago. But let me tell you a few reasons why I believe Jesus shed His blood at the place of a skull. First of all, I believe He shed His blood because that was the place of condemnation. Some people in history say it was referred to as the place of a skull because that's where criminals were executed, hung on a cross, crucified. And oftentimes they would leave the skulls there as a reminder to people that it was the place of condemnation. Now I'm preaching right now, you just haven't caught on yet. Thank God the blood was shed where there was condemnation. The blood of Jesus was offered for the condemned. Do you know that if you're lost tonight, You're not going to be condemned one day. You're condemned already because you have not believed on the name of the only begotten of the Father. But there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus
1: who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. The condemnation has been lifted because of the blood of Jesus Christ.
0: It was shed for the conscience. See, the skull is the house of your brain. The human brain weighs on the average about three pounds. The human brain, actually the skin on your body weighs more than your brain. The human brain, the brain of a child, it doesn't grow much from childhood until 18 when it stops growing. The child's brain is almost the same size as the adult brain. You have a hundred thousand miles of blood vessel running through your brain. Some sixty percent water and fat your brain is made up of. Sixty to seventy five percent, depending on the individual. The brain is the seat of love, fear, emotions, and conscience. The reason that they believe that it was called the place of a skull is they would leave the skulls of condemned criminals there to remind them this is the result of bad choices. This is people who overrode their conscience when deep inside of them something said this is not right. Now, I know that in this age of of secular humanism and this age of political correctness and all the other things, uh, people don't like to hear this, but I still believe God uses the conscience to speak to people. There's many a person that was lost that I have preached to that they knew nothing about one verse of Scripture. They knew nothing
1: about serving God. Knew nothing about Christianity. But yet something in their
0: conscience said, you're not right. You're not living right. You're not doing right. Now, the problem if you rely on the conscience only is even though the Holy Spirit deals with our conscience, you can begin to override that. And pretty soon you'll justify things with your mind. and your conscience will no longer bother you. It's like when you got saved, you made a commitment to God, I'll attend church faithfully, I'll read your Word, I'll pray, I'll do what you want me to do. And at first, when you don't do those things, your conscience will bother you. But you stay out of church long enough and it won't bother you anymore. You'll find a way to justify it with your
1: conscience. But what they are saying, here, are, here is an example.
0: The blood was shed for people who in their conscience made bad choices. Now contrary to popular theology today, I don't believe God makes people get saved. And I don't believe that there's just a few people that's allowed to be saved. I believe whosoever will. I believe God so loved the world. I believe Jesus died for every sinner. I don't think there's a big sin and a little sin. I don't think there's a good sin and a bad sin. We're all sinners. All oh, we like. Have gone astray, we've turned
1: every word to our own way, but the Lord had laid on Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And that day when Jesus offered up His blood, Christ has purged us from our conscience and our dead works to serve a living God when He offered up His blood through the eternal Spirit, spotless before God, and said here that made the wrong choice. They have gone the wrong way. But blessed be God the, the blood of Jesus purges our conscience of all of those bad works.
0: Now we serve a living God. I don't care how smart you are, how good you are. Everyone in here has made bad choices. And can I throw this in? If you are lost tonight, you're not lost. Because of some preacher that failed you. Or some Christian that failed you. If you are lost without Christ. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's your fault. Your fault. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
1: You have to get to that place that you say, I have made my mind up.
0: I'm going with Jesus and I'm following Him no matter what comes my way. Amen. Now all of that sounds reasonable, but now for a couple of things that may be hard to swallow, but stay with me. I think it's talking about the blood being offered. For condemnation. The blood being offered for our conscience. But also, the blood was offered to take care of the curse. What's the curse? When Adam sinned, there was a curse placed on all humanity. The Lord said, The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He wasn't talking about just physical death, even though physical death came as a result of that. That is something that happens in time. That's a process of time. But instantly, immediately, the day that Adam sinned, humanity was plunged into sin. Now every one of us is shaping in our iniquity. We're conceived in sin. I didn't fear to get a lot of amens. And the curse of sin is this, death, eternal death, hell, a lake of fire. That's the result of condemnation. See, it's one thing to say that that person has been accused, but then to be found guilty of it. And at the judgment seat of Christ, that's exactly what will happen to every sinner. They'll hear the words, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Terrible condemnation. Terrible curse. Could you imagine what this world would have been like had man not sinned? There'd never been a thorn on a rose. There would never be a funeral home. There would never have been a hospital. There would never be uh, any strife. There would never be a war. There would never be anyone that would say anything that would break the heart of someone else. There would be peace and there would be love and there would be harmony. I don't know what that's like, but I'm going to find out one day. Because the curse will be lifted. Glory be to God. John said there was no curse in the city. The curse. Why do you say it's the curse? Well, few people I know. Uh, I find out more and more that really have studied on this. The Jews have, have a strong tradition, the Orthodox Jews. See, when Noah built the ark, not only did he take the animals that God set on the ark, but the Jews believe that when he built the ark, he also took the bones of Adam on the ark. And when the ark rested, the Jews teach that Shem and Melchizedek, was led by an angel to the ark where it was resting. And they took the bones of Adam and brought brought those bones back to Jerusalem. And they buried the bones at a skull-shaped hill that an angel led them to and told them, this is the center of the earth. To this day, there is a chapel underneath Golgotha. The chapel is called the Chapel of Adam. I can see everybody going home and Googling now. Go ahead and Google it. It's there. One of the oldest chapels in the city of Jerusalem, outside the city of Jerusalem, the Chapel of Adam. They said that they put the bones of Adam there as a memorial to the Jewish people of the curse. But everything changed the day that Christ died. In the Chapel of Adam, they buried the bones in the apse part of the chapel. That's always on the north side, or east side rather, of the chapel. That's new beginning and new life. They said when the earth shook, the early church historians recorded, that the blood that Jesus had shed on the cross, if you go there to the chapel of Adam, you can look up and there is a crack that goes all the way straight up to the top of what they believe to be Golgotha. Glory to God. The early church said the blood of Jesus ran
1: down the cross all the way down to the bones of Adam because He was removing the curse. You say, which is that Scripture? Well, let me ask you, what do you think
0: Jesus did after He died? Where do you think He went for that period of time, for those three days? The Bible tells us where He went. He made a journey down into the depths of the earth and there he put his foot on the back of
1: Satan's neck and said, I have come to take the keys of death and of hell and there in grand procession he made captivity captive and those that had been under the curse and under the bondage suddenly were set free after his resurrection and came to life because of the blood of Jesus. I was cursed one day But thanks be to God, the blood of Jesus took the curse away. And because Jesus died, I don't have to go to hell. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Glory to God. Glory to God. i to take five-minute recess and shout it out. Thank God for the blood.
0: I was preaching one time. An individual came to me after church and they said, You know, I think you're sincere. said, I think you're a good man. But your theology is all wrong. I said, really? Yeah, I said, we don't, we don't believe what you believe. I said, well, what do I believe? Well, to hear you talk, all someone has to do is come, repent of their sin, confess they're a sinner, confess that Jesus is Lord, confess that He's risen from the grave, and they can be saved. I said, yeah, it's what I believe. I think it's in the book. Whosoever shall
1: call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved.
0: They said, well, we don't do it that way. Oh, they left the door open. I had to ask. I said, what do you do in your church? And they said, well, in our church, we never know when we're going to have service. said, when the Spirit of the Lord moves, the preachers and the elders... We'll call a time of service. And said, when they call for the service, they let everybody in the community know we're going to have a tub service. And they bring out a great big tub fill it full of water. And they all gather around that tub. And they start praying and praying. Said, sooner or later, said it might be 15 minutes, it might be two hours. Said, but the water will start to move in that tub. Said the first one to jump in that water is cleansed of their sins. They made a terrible mistake. They said, now what do you think about that? If you don't want to know, don't ask me. I said, I'm no Greek scholar, but I've got a Greek word for that. Baloney. Nobody's ever been saved by
1: jumping in a wash tub full of water. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guiltish stains. Thank God, have you been to Jesus for His cleansing power? Are you? Washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb unto Him who loved us and washed us by His own blood? Thank God, this church was bought with the price of the blood of Jesus.
0: The blood takes care of the curse. Then there's something else. The place of a skull for condemnation, for conscience, for the curse, for the crushing. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, you read about it. Genesis chapter 3, you find out that there would come a time where that he would crush the head of the serpent. What serpent? The serpent that deceived Adam and Eve. Satan himself. Now, myself, I know I'll get in trouble when I say it. I'll say it anyway. I don't like snakes. I don't like snakes. You like snakes? That's your business. you got snakes in your house? I ain't coming to visit. I don't even like dead snakes. I don't like any snake. And in fact... The more that's dead, the happier I am. <laughs> I'll probably get in trouble for saying it, but I'll say it anyway. I was on my way to a revival one night, and there was a big snake across the road. And I was in my big car, and bless God, I thought, I'll take care of him. And I ran over him, and I looked in my rearview mirror, and I didn't see a snake on the road. Man, it went through my mind. That thing has wrapped around and under my car, and as soon as I step out, he's going to get me. I go down the road about five miles sweating what I'm going to do. And all of a sudden, that was during the time where they used to have full-service gas stations. I pulled up in the full-service section. Put my window down. The fellow said, can I help you? I said, yeah, I think I picked up something on the highway. You care to look under there and see if I brought anything along with me? I might be a preacher, but I'm not stupid. Amen? (laughs) The devil's to blame for this mess. You remember who your enemy is. But thanks be to God. Jesus took care of the serpent on Calvary's cross. You say, "Well, if He took care of Him, why do we have all these troubles?" I remember as a boy, we used to cut hay in the old-time way, and we'd have to take pitchforks and load it on the wagon, and take it to the barn, and pitch it up in the hayloft. Dad had an old sickle bar that on the old tractor that we cut down the hay on the farm. And one day, I just a little fellow, One day, he went through, and a snake had raised its head up and got. Hung in that sickle barn and he cut the head of that snake off. Man, we stopped dad. We were terrified. Dad got off the tractor, come down, looked over. Now that snake's head was gone. But that snake was just wiggling. And I told dad, I said, that's terrifying. He said, don't be afraid. Its head's cut off. And I said, yeah, but look at it. It's still wiggling. I thought of all the stories they used to tell me they'd crawl back to their head and try to put it back on all that kind of silliness. He said, don't worry about that. That snake is dead. It'll never bother you. I said, but it's still moving. He said, well, it's dead. It just don't know it's dead yet.
1: Wartless! <laughs> wow, Uncovered! The victory was won! Now, the devil thinks he's in control, but he's had it. He just don't know it yet. But One day the Lord Himself uh, shall descend from heaven with a shout uh, and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God uh, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord at a place uh, that the devil cannot come.
0: Maybe I never bothered you. He's bothering me a little bit. And I can't wait to get a grandstand seat in glory when He's bound and cast into the bottomless pit. I want to be there to shout hoorah for Jesus in that day when the serpent is taken care of. Then there's something else. The blood was also shed and offered not only for the condemnation of the conscience, the curse, crushing, but also for the challenger, the giant. You know, there's a lot of scholars that seem to think, do you remember when David met Goliath? Boy, what a lesson that is. I don't have time to go into all of them. But you know, there's laws of motion that exist. One law of motion says this that if you are struck in the head, God forbid this happens, but if someone here tonight, you're driving down the highway, you're standing somewhere, and you're to be shot in the head, the direction of the bullet will determine which way your head goes. It's the law of motion. If you're shot in the front, your head's going back. It's the law of motion. And barring something to block you, to bounce you back and recoil, You'll go in the direction of the object that hit you. Now you read the Word of God close. David said, I don't want your armor. Told the giant, I come against you in the name of the Lord. Took the stone. The stone left his hand. And you read the Word of God closely. That stone going in the direction that it hit him in the skull, he should have fallen backwards. But the Bible says he fell forward. You know what? God had His hand on David's hand. God helped him throw the stone. And before the stone ever left His hand, God was behind the giant to shove him forward. You know what that tells me? God's on both ends of our
1: problems. God is on the side that we're on and He's on the victory side too. And He's already taken care of the giant. We just don't realize how much God is helping us when we face the giant because we look at the giant by our might
0: and our power. But after the giant was down, what did David do? Went and got a sword, Goliath's sword cut his head off. Where did he take his head? According to the Bible, took it back to Jerusalem. What they do with it? Buried it. You know where a lot of scholars say they buried it? Galgotha. That's why they called it the place of the skull. During the time that Christ was here, it was still taught to many of the Jewish people, this is the burial place for the skull of your giants. Glory to God. Thank God. There's not a challenge in life that the blood
1: can't take care of. There's not an enemy too big for the blood of Jesus. There's not a burden too heavy for the blood of Jesus. There's not a sickness you have in your body that the blood of Jesus can't take care of and heal. There's not an enemy that you'll face in your life that the blood of Jesus cannot overcome. Thanks be to God which given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He overcomes every battle we face in life.
0: I have a lot of other things to tell you. Let me tell you one more and I'll quit, okay? For any of you that have been to the Holy Land and seen Calvary, you can testify to this. There was a cemetery there. Now they've buried so many corpse up on top of the hill and they put concrete, tons and tons of concrete. See, years ago, false religion said There's nothing to this and we're going to cover up the evidence of it. They did the same thing to the eastern gate. They blocked it up and they buried their dead in front of the eastern gate. You can stand on Mount Scopus, look across to the golden gate, and there's nothing but graves. The graves around the city wall are the graves of other religions. The graves on the Mount of Olives side are the Jews that were looking for the Messiah to come. And they wanted to be as close to that gate because they taught from the Old Testament prophets the teaching that when He would come, that He would stand on the Mount of Olives. And they've sealed that gate up saying, we don't believe Jesus was the Son of God. They believe their religions, but just in case He does come. Divinity won't step on death. God commanded them they couldn't touch death. So we'll bury the dead because we know divinity won't come where death is at. Boy, they're wrong about that. If you have power over the dead, death don't stop you. So here they are at this cemetery. And in this cemetery, the blood was offered and shed. Can I say this with all confidence? The thing that makes the difference when we come to the grave Of loved ones. Is the blood. Jesus makes the difference. At every funeral I ever preach. When I stand to comfort a family. To be able to say. Your loved one died in Christ. That changes everything. Why? Because Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth in me. Shall never die. To be absent from the body. Is to be present with the Lord. The blood. Makes the difference at the cemetery. I had a dear pastor friend I preached for for 35 years. Well, 36 years. First year after I started preaching, I went and preached for him there. I, I, I just I can't tell you how much I loved him. It's been a difficult couple of months. I had three, three great friends, three great preachers. One had been in his church for 38 years. This preacher had been at his church since 1969. He'd built three or four times on the church, and I preached in every church building that he'd built. There was just a bomb that was there. Had another old preacher in our church, pastored for 65 years. Within two months, all three of them went to be with the Lord. I preached the funeral of all three of them. This one particular preacher, I'd gone to preach the funeral, and his wife was having a lot of physical problems too. And it was affecting her mind. And uh, they called me to come and preach the funeral. And I I cleared my schedule and went to preach his funeral. When she came in, I hugged her. I said, how you doing, sis? She said, I'm doing great. She said, now, when you get to a certain place today, you'll know when. Just call on me. Said the spirit of God will tell you when. See that's my crowd. People don't like that. But I like that. That means she would already prayed for me. And God would give her witness. And and I said I will. The young pastor that was there. That just started taking. Over as far as he was passing the torch to him. And that dear preacher. He had gone through a brain tumor. And God had healed him. He battled leukemia. And God had healed him. Had a blood clot in his heart. God had healed him, and he died in a car accident. I'm preaching. The casket is open. I preach about 15 minutes. And I could tell Joplin, she mentally, she was just, with the sickness she's had, there were times you could tell she didn't even realize where she was at. It was almost like she would come and go. And I looked down, and her eyes were sparkling. And the Spirit of God said, Now. And I said to her sons and her daughters, they had seven kids, I said, Boys, if you would help your mama up, there's something she wants to do. Everybody, you could tell silence, gripped the audience. They just didn't know what was going on. And I want to be honest, I didn't know what was going on, and she wouldn't tell me. She could not hardly even remember her own name. She couldn't remember what was going on. But just like a soldier out of the clear blue, she walked over to that casket, bent over and kissed him on the forehead and said, honey, I'll see you in the morning. Took the Bible out of his hand. I walked over and got the pastor, the young pastor, and brought him down to where she was at. She handed him that Bible and said, Son, the mantle has fallen on you. Funeral was over. Time to rejoice. The Lord made the difference at the cemetery. Thank God when we come to that
1: place. For the waters known of the soul's life struggle. When we get to that place that we can no longer hear the voice of those that we love the most and we can no longer see their face or feel the touch of their hand, blessed be the name of God. There is a hand that we will feel that was fierce for our sins. There will be a voice that will say, I've been through this valley of the shadow of death. I'll light the way with my glory and grace. I shed my that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And because He lives, the blood makes the difference at the cemetery.
0: You're not going to make it without the blood. Now, if you're here tonight, I didn't mean to preach this song, but it's your fault. You acted like you liked it. Let, Let me... As I come to a close, y'all come get ready to sing. I'm going to appeal to your reason tonight, if I can, for one minute. Every person here, in your heart, and your conscience, will automatically tell you if you are or if you're not. Are you ready? Should you die right now? Are you ready to meet the Lord? You know. You know. The depths of your soul, you know your conscience bears you record if you're saved or not saved, forgiven or not forgiven, if the blood is there or not. Now, here's what I'm appealing to your reason about. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, why not? Do you think you're not going to die? Do you think you're not going to face giants? Do you think that you're not going to face the curse? We're all going to do that. Now in one moment they're going to sing, and when they sing, and here's where I appeal to your reason. I'm going to ask you to do what you're going to do one day anyway. I'm going to ask you to come. If you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to kneel at these altars. And God's people will meet you here. But best of all, the Lord will meet you here. And I'm going to ask you to confess that Jesus is Lord. Confess that you've sinned. And let God know how sorry you are for your sin. And confess that He's the only one that can take our sin away. Now can I tell you why that's reasonable? The question is not, will you do that? The question is, when will you do that? You can do it tonight and have peace in your heart and assurance that if you died, you're ready to meet the Lord. Or you can refuse to do it. Leave this world unprepared to meet God. And one day be in a number when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, you confessing that in that He's Lord doesn't make Him Lord. He's Lord already. You're confessing that you realize that He's Lord and that He's the only one that can take care of your sin. And if you're here tonight, Christian friend, you're facing challenges, giants. You're dealing with people that are cursed by sin. May I remind you, the blood makes the difference. Make a spiritual trip to the place of the skull and leave, knowing the blood takes care of it all. Will you stand together as they sing? And if you need to pray, I invite you. Will you come? Will you come? Will you come? Do you know Him as your Savior? Is it well with your soul?